Daddy Squared. Gay Dad Saved the World. A daily dose of gay dads on the front lines of the global pandemic. With Alex McGann and Jan Dick. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads podcast. This is uh, Gay Dads Save the World. And of course, it's not us who save the world. No, it's We not. just uh, bring you stories of uh, first responders and uh, essential workers. And today we're going to talk with a policeman, Alex. That, yeah, that's How awesome. How sexy. Um, yes. It is sexy. It's a back, back to the calendar thing again. But yes. I won't go into okay, it. Okay, let's talk about I, something that happened I, this week. I, I actually wanted to talk about something that, that I find really fascinating about my kids and the way they're growing up, and especially some of the stuff that they've discovered um, and focus on during this time that we're in lockdown together. Uh, just as a reminder, we have uh, twin four-year-old kids, and they're IVF kids. They have the same maternal DNA, and one of them is biologically mine, and the other is biologically Jan's. Um, we've never harped on that. We don't talk about that to them directly, but it just so happens that one of them has brown eyes, as do I, and the other has greenish-blue, like an ocean-on-a-stormy-day <laughs> eye color, uh, like my husband Jan does. And uh, they have discovered the fact that one of them has the same color eyes as me and the other has the same color eyes as Jan. And they've made the connection to the fact that they have certain other things in common as a result. And so one of them loves vegetables and the other does not like vegetables at all. And the one that doesn't like vegetables has said, well... I know I don't like vegetables, and Daddy, you don't like vegetables, and that's because we both have the same color eyes. And they have repeated this pattern many yeah, times. Yeah, so now it's a thing. And now it's a thing. And so now, but what I think is so interesting is that without us ever having explained any of this to them, they've discovered this relationship in genetics without knowing genetics is what it's about. And I just love it. And I wonder it if we're the only ones. Like, if you guys have um, similar situations with the surrogacy, or it doesn't have to be twins, but if you have a similar situation when your kids are discovering genetics by themselves, uh, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. One of the questions is that as they get older and they start to actually ask i think we're going to tell them the truth about how things you know were developed genetically maybe maybe not and then certainly once they become teenagers and they decide to be really really nasty towards us which of course they will you know one of them will scream you're not even my dad and stuff like that yeah that'll probably happen disgusting we don't know uh, by the way, we never took we never took the test so we never uh, can be absolutely sure. And we don't care. We don't want to be. No. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Today we're calling uh, Seattle. So Doug Hove is a sergeant with the Seattle Police Department. And, um, and I want to give a shout out to his husband, Tom, who arranged with me the whole interview. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're calling Doug and this should be very interesting. Let's do it. This is Doug. Hi, Doug. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. We're good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, we would love to hear a little bit about what you do uh, for work and how it's changed during this pandemic. Sure. So um, I'm currently a sergeant with the Seattle Police Department uh, in Washington. 
Um, I've been with the department for about 16 years, and up until about three months ago, it was pretty much normal. Um, I think noticeably, uh, like if we had an incident that was going on and I needed to get like a recording of calls or anything, I would just drive down to our communication center. Uh, and now that is completely locked down, so nobody can go in or out of that. Um, Call-wise, uh, all of our personnel, uh, just like across the country, um, we are completely gloved up. We have um, N95, heavy-duty masks, uh, eye protection, and uh, sanitizer gear in all of our patrol cars, all of our workstations, and on our persons, um, which is kind of a catch-22 because when you're a patrol officer, you don't always have the time to don that equipment. So that's quite a, a psychological burden to carry. Um, call status has completely changed. Uh, we're doing a lot of work uh, tele telephonically. So if, if it's a non-in-progress call and you don't have ev evidence, my officers are just calling and trying to take the report over the phone, which is a real new process for us uh, in Seattle. We're very business forward where if you call for a, a report, an officer will show up on your porch or at work. Uh, so that's taken a little bit to get used to. Um, we're having like a really weird mix of some nights we are just absolutely dead. There's not a call for service out there. And then another night it is just nonstop um, domestic violence type things, suicide calls, violent crimes. Right. Uh, it's, it's just weird. There's no planning. Um, we're coming into a weekend here in Seattle that's supposed to be in the 80s. And so I would imagine that it's going to be uh, pretty stressful for officers out there just to deal with people. You know, everybody's at their wit's end, I think, um, with the quarantine yeah, and it's it's starting to show. So, right. So, do you feel that um, the the calls for domestic violence and uh, and uh, suicide is uh, is going up? It's like more than usual. It's it certainly seems that way to me. Um, I'm obviously I'm not able to speak on behalf of the department, and I don't have any uh, hard statistics right. that I'm pulling from. But just from my street level, being out there, going to calls and screening calls, it seems like there is a definite uptick. Right, and so you you're interacting physically directly with people out there who may be you know COVID nineteen positive, and you're you're all covered up, and then you have to go home right. at some point. And um, before you tell us what you do as you transition from from work to home, uh, what do you have at home? Tell us about your family. Uh, so my husband and I have been married for, I think about six years, six or seven. <laughs> Don't tell him. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> we have two little ones. Uh, our daughter Cammy is going to, is about two and a half. And then our son is two and a half. Uh, Cammy is still, uh, is totally adopted. And then Tevin's in the last stages, um, of adoption and the COVID stuff kind of derailed us. So we're just in a holding pattern with that. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, it turns out, I think that we're married the same amount of time as he yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you get home, uh, we're, we're just curious to know. So what do you do? Do you, do you change before you leave work or do you change like 
on the entrance to the house or home or how does it work? Yeah. So I'll even, I'll back up even further. So when the COVID stuff started and I realized that being, you know, Seattle was originally thought to be the epicenter and the start for the U S um, Thomas and I had a really deep conversation that there's really no, uh, safety net for first responders out there. If we thought we were exposed or God forbid we were exposed or we were positive, what do you do? Mm. Uh, we don't have any family in the area that's able to help us. I mean, my family's five hours away and his family's like eight hours away driving. And so I ended up just packing up my Suburban with a sleeping bag, pillows, blankets, extra toiletry stuff. And my plan was that I was just going to sleep at the precinct parking garage um, and use the shower there in the facilities uh, because I was just not willing to risk bringing it home to my family. Um, now, in the interim to that, our, our department has really stepped up um, and has secured um, hotel rooms and options for families and stuff so they're not sleeping in their car and they have you know, backup plans. So that, that was one aspect of it. But for me personally, I literally go to work in a set of clothes. I change at my precinct in the locker room. Uh, and then I change out after work, um, come home in my civilian clothes, and then I change and shower again before I go to bed. And it's a little different for me because I work nights. And so by the time I get home, the kids are in bed. Um, I don't have like the risk of one of them running up or, you know, having Tom awake to deal with any exposure until I get cleaned up. But um, we still have to bring, you know, equipment home and launder that at the house. And that's in a mixed load and all kinds of weird stuff, you know, right. I wouldn't have thought of two months ago. Can you tell us a little bit about silver linings, any kind of positive experiences that you've had that are special during this time? Uh, well, there's multiple actually. Um, first our I would say I'll start at just like work is that um, our department has just started um, a real hard push with a wellness unit and it was the perfect timing for the pandemic to hit because they had people in place to try to assist with officers and uh, personnel needs mm. uh, and stuff that was never thought of before. Right. I mean, it'd been a hundred years since something like this had happened. So that's great that they have people in place and it's like uh, really working in the right direction. Um, secondly, the people that are out on the street, I think our camaraderie is much, much higher. Um, I have talked to multiple people that have done military deployments and they have likened this situation to just that. I mean, you're in a war zone situation with a constant cumulative stress, uh, not knowing what's around the next corner. And I can see a definite positive change in the people at work, um, at home, uh, and away from work, uh, people in the community, seem to be coming together. Um, we've had more conversations from across the street with our neighbors than we have in some time. Um, here in Seattle, there, uh, and I think across the country, um, there's still the come together and make noise at like 8 p.m. on Friday to support um, the first line people of grocery store workers, nurses and doctors, first responders, et cetera. Right. So that's been great. Do you find that you and your husband are finding things to laugh about during all of this craziness? 
we are. And by the grace of God, we haven't had like the breaking point moments at the same time. I mean, and that's, <laughs> that's um, kind of the, the saving grace for our whole marriage. There's never been a time that we both have had, you know, been at our tipping point. So that's been great that um, we're each other's sounding board. And that if I'm just really keyed up from work, he's in a good spot to let me vent and vice versa. Uh, and realistically, I mean, the having the kids around um, is such a good distraction. And although it brings a lot of stress, you know, as parents know, um, there's so much joy that comes with it. And it's such a strong reminder of why you're out in the field, in the muck of things on the daily. Sure. Yeah. Um, we do like to finish with an important and, and very, very personal question. And it goes something like this. What is the worst thing that you've eaten over the last week? We need really devastating detail. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I'm the cook in the family, and uh, Thomas surprised me with some kale pesto tortellini for dinner the other night. And since he is not the cook, I just had to smile and say thank you. And it was fantastic because I didn't want to, you know, take that train off the rails. <laughs> well, he may know now. I'm just pointing yeah, right, out. Right. Uh, um, listen, we. Doug, thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for chatting with us today and also send our love to Thomas. Yeah. I and, will. I will. And look, if, if I can also just say, you know, uh, on, in normal times, I occasionally think about how critical it is that we have the police around, you know, maintaining the peace. And at a time like this, when everybody is so, is so on edge and things are so crazy, we can't thank you enough for what you do to help keep our environment and our and our world safe. Thank you. No, thank you. And the only thing I'll ask for you is that when you see uh, a lady or a gentleman out in their patrol car, just smile, wave, and say thank you. Oh, it's, we all- it's really important for them to hear that as well. We always do. We yeah. we love yeah. it. Thanks Fantastic. so much. Bye bye, thanks guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's great.